It's premiere week, and on this first episode, I'm joined by my old podcast partner, stand-up comedian, and overall maniac, Gene Getman, to recap the horrors of 2020, discuss whether or not lockdowns are actually helping fight the pandemic, and find out if he still ironically supports Donald Trump. That's a tease. And this is Mike Coscarelli Rules. He is so cute. <laughs> Mike Coscarelli? Mike Coscarelli. <laughs> Mike Coscarelli is here as well. He's the producer for this failing fucking radio show. A big hand for Mike something Italian. Well, hello. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Mike Coscarelli Rules. I am failed comedian Mike Coscarelli. Really excited that you guys are joining me. Uh, Here's a little secret to share with you guys right off the bat. It's between you and me. This is the second time I have to record this intro because I fucked it up the first time. (laughs) Had the whole thing edited, ready to go, and then I looked up and it was gone. Magically deleted from my computer. So here we are on take two. I'm souped that you guys are here. I really am. I think this is super exciting, and I I can't wait to do a show for you guys every week. Uh, The base might be small right now. Completely understand that. And whoever is listening to this, uh, episode one... I really appreciate you taking a chance and and giving me, you know, for this episode, almost two hours of your time. (laughs) It's 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 a haul. I get it. But I promise it'll be worth it. Uh, This week, I'm joined by my former podcast partner, Gene Getman. We used to host a a podcast called Social Villains together. Some of you who are listening to this show may have been fans of that show. And that's what got you here. Uh, So you're probably going to enjoy that. If you don't know Gene, buckle up. It's going to be a hell of a, an interesting segment, but, uh, you know, you'll, we'll get to that later. For now, I figured it's important for you guys to know a little bit about me, know who I am, what I'm trying to do with this show before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of this thing. Uh, hi, I'm Mike. Uh, <laughs> I'm 31 years old, live in Brooklyn, New York. Now, I... I I am a former comedian. If you you know are a fan of my my stand up comedy, maybe you saw me around New York City, or you saw me come to one of your cities near you, pr- primarily on the East Coast or in the South. Um, you know, you might know me from there. I've also been a radio and podcast producer for eleven years. I've worked at at WABC in New York City, which is like a big time legacy talk radio station at the time. Mostly, conser- it's actually conservative right now too. But uh, it's how I sort of learned the trade. I worked with some pretty big names, people like uh, Joanne Reed, Ron Kuby. Uh, I, I've worked on the Guys We Fucked podcast with Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson. I've worked with Ben Kissel of the last podcast on the left, uh, producing his show for all things comedy. Uh, I've worked with Don Imus. May he rest in peace. Uh, worked with a bunch of big names in the industry. And I think it's time for me to finally have my moment. 2020 was a year where my ego got kicked right in the balls, like everybody's. I think we all were really questioning <laughs> the meaning of life, <laughs> self-worth, whatever. You know, if you lost your job, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, if you lost a loved one, I'm really sorry to hear that. Uh, overall, it's just been a, a brutal year. So I think that maybe starting 2021 off right with a little bit of me time and a little bit of us time, because this is really about you and me, is important. This show overall is really just geared to be an outlet for me to bring you guys some interesting content, some things that I find fascinating, some things that I might find funny, some things that I find interesting. And it's not necessarily a comedy podcast. I I don't want to give off that vibe. 
that that's what it's going to be every week, that it's going to be this over-the-top, ridiculous thing like I've kind of worked on in the past. It might be that sometimes, but it's not necessarily going to be that all the time. And I want to tell stories. I want to produce some long-form uh, podcast stuff for you guys that I think is, is a little bit different than some of the other shows that are out there. Really, you, you've got to learn to like me. If you like me, you're going to love this show. Uh, there's not much else I can really say about it, if I'm being honest. But uh, that's sort of the plan. We're going to try to do things that are a little different here. They're not. I don't really want to fall in line with the status quo of what everybody else has tried to do on a podcast. There will be times, obviously, where it's eerily similar. But I'm just trying to do something different. And maybe it's something that I found on the internet that you hadn't seen that might be worth a discussion or, or, or funny or interesting. Maybe it's a story that I want to tell that I picked up from somewhere, but I just want to do it a little more creatively and hopefully you just stick with me and go along for the ride. So moving forward, we are pretty much going to have the type of show where I'm going to talk to you for a little bit on the front end, like I'm doing right now. You'll probably get just me and maybe I'll talk about a story, a couple things that I saw, whatever. Then we'll get into a couple different segments. I'll have some guests, a couple things in the works, some people that I think you guys will be excited about because I'm excited to talk to them. And that's something in the near future. And you know, you'll get a new episode every Tuesday. And that's sort of the format of the show. For this week in particular, since this segment with Gene is so damn long, I figure it's best to just get right to it. You guys have a, an idea of what we're going to do on this show now, and you know it'll be different every week, hopefully, and that's that. But for now, I think it's time to talk to Gene Getman. And in this interview, it's not an interview, it's a segment, it's, it's you know basically our old podcast. It's the first time that he and I had talked over a microphone in about two years, which was a long time for us. We had a very tumultuous working relationship where we would work together for a while and then get sick of each other and sort of break up and get back together. And now he's just going to come on my show every now and then and we're going to kind of do what we used to do. A show where I have editing capabilities and I can censor Gene when I need to because <laughs> that was an important dynamic in our last relationship. But... Um, so enjoy this. It's a recap of 2020 and all the things that happened in 2020, uh, including social issues, politics, uh, the pandemic, obviously, um, and personal things that happened in the pandemic. So I'll see you on the other side. For now, since this is the last you're going to hear from me talking directly to you, the listener, who I love so much and need so much, uh, here's what I need you to do. This is my, my plea to you. I need you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't done that already, please do it. It goes a long way. I know it sounds stupid. It's like the thing that everybody says in the podcast, but we got to do it because we're all trying to get that bread. You know what I mean? Do you want me? Listen, hey, do you want me to be able to do this full time and not have a day job? I want that for me. But do you want that for me? Because if that's the case, I need you. I need you to tell a friend. I need you to rate, review, and subscribe. It's necessary because this isn't just about me. This is a, we're a community. The Mike Coscarelli community, it's us. This is about us. This isn't just about me. If I win, you win. So let's make this a reality for old Mikey boy, huh? Tell a friend, rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you want to reach out to me for any reason, first off, Bad reviews, don't put them on Apple Podcasts. Please just send them directly to me. You can DM me at Mike Coscarelli on Instagram and Twitter. Just DM me. You can say you don't like the show. It's okay. Not everybody's going to like it. I get it. You can also email the podcast. 
for anything. You need advice on something? I don't know that I'm the one to give it to you, but you can give it a shot. You want to tell me the, the podcast is good or bad or maybe something that you want to hear on the podcast? Send it here. Coskrules at gmail.com. C-O-S-C-R-U-L-E-S at gmail.com. Death threats, whatever. I just like hearing from you guys. Send it all to the inbox. All right, those are the plugs. Gene Getman is coming up next, and I will see you guys on the other side in probably about, let's say, 11 seconds. All right, welcome back to my Coscarelli Rules, everybody. Coming up, we have a very special segment. This is very important to me because if you've followed me through any of the things that I've done before, you know my next guest, and you're very familiar with the next segment we're about to do. So without any further ado, let me take you back. Way, way back. All the way to the year 2014. I was a stand-up comedian, only several years away from failing and dropping out of the industry altogether. That year, I launched a show called Social Villains, and joining me on my quest to the bottom was a man so depraved, so unique, and so, some have even said, evil. A man whose intellect is so diabolical that had he had the drive to do anything other than start internet feuds with New York City comedy club bookers that no one cares about and call me gay on a podcast, he could have destroyed the world. Instead, he sits alone in his parents' basement, undoubtedly having not showered in several weeks, reminiscing with me about the worst year in modern history and the podcast we did together, which, by the way, we buried, so good luck trying to find that. This man is comedian Gene Getman, and this segment is called Social Villains. Mike Coscarelli and Gene Getman are... <laughs> Social Villains. Uh, so, Do I get guys, to talk now? Or yeah, you get to talk I, now. <laughs> oh, good. Thanks a lot. I was... I was wondering how much of that scripted intro uh, <laughs> I, t- I was going to go on for. It. I started telling you about the scripted intro, and I could see it in your face that you were like, this is stupid. <laughs> no, I was trying to be respectful. You know, <laughs> you were talking, and I was like, you know, he's clearly put a lot of work into this. Yeah. And there's not a lot to do in 2020 anymore except, you know, sit there and uh, and devolve into your own ego. So... <laughs> Hey, listen, my ego has been on a break for at least a year. There's no question about that. Hence uh, the name, Mike Coscarelli Rules. Oh, yeah. I had to pump it up, man. I've had low self-esteem all year, like most yeah. of the, the world, I think. So the, low, the world has low self-esteem. That's why it just has a <laughs> virus now and just doesn't go outside. <laughs> so for the listeners, to give you guys some context, I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast, many of you are listening because of Social Villains, me and Gene's old show. Uh, which is a show that we did for a number of years, sort of on and off. We had a a very good run for a while and then had fights along the way many times. We've also uh, been kicked out of several um, recording situations that we were in. I mean, pretty Uh, much all of that was my fault thinking. Most, yeah, most of it was your fault. (laughs) I was kind of, I was actually going through old photos just because I wanted to just clear up some old shit, right? Just trying to. Um, go through them and i was looking through some of the photos we had at the radio station and we had like a nice setup man 
We had a great setup. I know. It, it's like I we were really kind of doing it for a while. You know, we were getting yeah. more listeners and we were getting better guests. And now just seeing the way things have progressed for other people, you know, they're kind of in the mainstream and making things happen. And I can't help but feel that if the both of us weren't such depressed, unbelieving in ourselves, assholes, that we could actually have some sort of career in radio other than doing a fucking Zoom podcast across a fucking coffee table from each other. I tend to agree with you. And, you know, like, um, let's just give the audience who might not know our situation a little bit of context. We were doing that show for a while and then we stopped. But if you don't know Gene, the important thing to know is that Gene and I, we have some similarities, but we're very different, which is one of the reasons why I think it made our dynamic very fun. Gene, you're not really like anybody else. And I feel like anytime I've brought you onto any other podcast that I've done without you, perhaps I've needed to let the audience that doesn't know you into your world a little bit. They have to know the type of person that we're dealing with. Because we've talked about this now, like pre-production for this podcast, you and I have had conversations and this is something that I want to try to do maybe once a month where you and I talk about sort of the 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 world at large, the way that you and I see it and the way that we've always been able to discuss it. Right, the I mean, world- I, I can't help but, but think that, you know, throughout 2020, I was thinking, man, it's like, it would be great if we could just talk about this. I know. There's so much <laughs> shit is happening. And of all the years for us not to have a platform to talk about it, it's this one where you just the year the world there. collapsed. Yeah, you just sit there and be silent and basically make anti-Semitic comments on Reddit. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's there's no outlet for you. I know. Uh, yeah, I know. It, it's tragic, but that's why you know, in 2021, this is our year, dude. This is our year. And the difference is, like, I think this is going to work better this time around because I have we don't full, have contact with each other. We don't have contact with each other, but I have full editing capabilities. Whereas, like when we were doing a show together, I couldn't. If you said something insane, which was I don't know what every 25 minutes or so, I couldn't just cut it. You know, I couldn't be like if I had cut something, I'd be like, all right, Gene's going to be mad if I cut out this, you know, joke about. uh, Let's be honest. It's always about one thing (laughs) that we're no longer allowed to say, (laughs) although we're all wearing masks. So I do get to mouth it at people. See, like this is something that I might end up cutting. (laughs) And this, you know, I have the freedom to do that now. And I think that's why this relationship, although this is the fifth time we've done this, it might work out this time, you know? And a little bit of space is good for any couple. A little bit of space. You got to miss each other, you know? I need to to spend a month without you to go, man, I really miss Gene and I got to have him back to talk about shit that's going on. Uh, Right. So, all right, let people need to know who you are. So let's let's start with a little checklist. Currently, what is your credit score, Gene? You want to start with my credit score? Let's start with the credit score. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, honestly. I don't know. 500? It's not zero. I think it was zero for a minute there. But now Do we it's, think it's 500? Yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. I don't, I don't have any debt. That's, so a good, that's a great start. It is? It's you good. don't have any debt? Since when? I mean, it's good compared to what I mean, you, you you spent years telling me how you would open up credit cards, you would uh, get cash advances on them, and then you would throw the credit card yeah. into the lake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then not pay the money back. <laughs> yeah, and in, into the Hudson River. Um, so, you, you can understand why I would be surprised why you have a credit score that's not zero right now. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, this plan worked out perfectly because all those times I threw out those credit cards, you know, enough time has gone by that 
um, I'm no longer I no longer owe that money. You know, there's like a statute, like seven years or whatnot. It goes off your record. So they were just hounding me for money for years and I just ignored them. And then they just gave up. Yeah. So now I I have all of that money that I saved not paying them. And and I don't have any more. I stopped doing that. So like I don't have any more debt. I mean, I do have student debt and that's still mm-hmm. just crushing me constantly as it is everybody. But, you know, uh, yeah. that stuff you can't get away from. So I really, I just have to pay that, I guess. But let's forget this about the student loans. Let's get back on Gene. Audience needs mm-hmm. to know about Gene before we get into the... Um, so as we mentioned before, we were working at, uh, we were working together at WABC when we were doing the podcast and we had a nice studio set up there in two Penn Plaza, uh, above Madison square garden. People were excited to come in do the podcast with us. Uh, how did we lose that studio? Well, I was working there. And of course the job that you very graciously managed to get for me, it wasn't the best job in the world, but it was really easy and nice kind of, you know, uh, foot in, into the door. Right. Um, Your first media job. Yeah, it was my first media job. Exactly. And um, I made absolutely no friends. (laughs) I didn't speak to anybody. I tried to avoid people as much as possible. Well, we did. We were doing the podcast and that was kind of a nice um, position. So, um, as you know, we were both working on a Larry Kudlow show. You were the producer and I was just yeah. passing in phones, which by the way, recently, as I, I said, um, as I said, I was going through old photos and I found a video that I took of you. I don't know if you remember this, where I was telling you that I put MDMA yes. in Larry <laughs> oh Kudlow's God, coffee. I forgot about this. <laughs> Dude, I'll send you Kudlow, that. who now works for the president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, whatever, <laughs> what is he? In the Trump administration. He like runs the economy, man. Yeah. So I'm telling you that I put acid in this coffee and the look on your face was just so good. You're like. I freaked out. You're like, no, you didn't. I go, yeah. And you're like, no, you didn't. I go, I did. He's like, you're like, Gene, don't tell me you didn't do that. And anyway, um, I didn't. So, but what I did do was eventually have my girlfriend, Melissa, come in and work those mornings for me because I didn't feel like it. So I just had her work right. for me. Uh, uh, remind the audience, though, did Melissa work there? No, no, she was not an employee. Right. So you you had somebody that didn't work at the job come in and, and cover the shift for you. Right. Uh, which and I, then they found out. Yeah, naturally they fired me, but I didn't think that that was really <laughs> that big a deal. I mean, somebody's there working. Somebody's there working, but uh, I, again, we to go back to to that situation, being called into the boss's office at that time to hear, I, what do you know about Gene Shift on Saturday mornings? <laughs> uh, and just say like, oh man, like I don't know. He sometimes he's a little bit late, but I didn't want to narc on my friend. It's not a big deal, you know, whatever. And then to hear, oh. Well, he's not coming in. Um, Melissa's been coming in and working the shift for him. Do you know anything about this? <laughs> I had to be like, what? <laughs> no, I don't know anything about this. What are you talking about? They were dumbfounded. The executives were talking to me. This is like around the time they started making me a podcast person, like a uh, uh, podcast producer, whatever. And they were just like, what? What did your friend do? They're like, we've never seen this before. We, we have no idea how to handle this. What the fuck is wrong with him? It, this it's, is, it's like... Do you understand how 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 unique the situation had to be to be a first for somebody getting fired in media? 
yeah, I guess, but I don't understand how they couldn't understand how it's so. I mean, right? It's not that bad. I mean, I could see the. It's the insane. Fact that, what are you talking about? Well, anyway, that's how we fucked that up. That's how we uh, fucked that up. <laughs> I got fired. I wasn't allowed in the building anymore. And then we moved to your basement. Yeah. Of course, then, uh, that was depressing. That was depressing. <laughs> Absolutely. I forgot why you quit. I think one of the last episodes we did was where I edited in. Oh, I edited together your um, your voice from the podcast saying <laughs> shit like, you know, I banged my uncle or something. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was a good bit. Uh, I think at that time I quit because we were just doing it in a basement in Queens and we couldn't get guests and nobody wanted to come and and to think talk now to and- we're not even as good as a basement in Queens. <laughs> we're doing it in a Zoom meeting on the internet. No way. <laughs> I know. It's brutal. Um, all right. And the last thing I think before we need to like start getting into the actual meat here is I think that you know what we did, the style of our show. Uh, and what it became was essentially a, a point counterpoint sort of show where I'm the liberal person and you're you, you know, <laughs> like, well, I don't, even wanna, I don't, I don't, I don't even, want to get canceled. I don't know if you are conservative, but like, you know, in the in the early days of Trump, you were a Trump person. And I don't oh, know. Yeah, if yeah, you that's still right. are. I, I was a Trump person. That's right. <laughs> I assume, is that over or no? What do you mean? Whether I'm a like Trump, you're quote unquote Trump person? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd like to think that I have a little bit more of a nuanced uh, viewpoint on things. I mean, definitely thinking back about the way, you know, because when you're in the moment, it's difficult to get a good audit of the situation. And when Trump first came on the scene, you know, he came in as kind of like this antithesis to what we understood to be this quote unquote political correctness and you know, liberal pussies and all that kind of stuff. In fact, that's kind of like the, <laughs> you know, the premise of social villains back in 2014, 2015, yeah. when we started Trump. the show is kind of like a, right. Social villains was supposed to be a, a clapback to social justice warriors. Right. And, and, and back during that time, that was sort of the perspective on things that there are these like hypersensitive liberal you know, pussies and they just can't handle a joke and things like that. And then Trump came in being very brash, very, uh, you know, a bull in a China shop sort of thing. And, you know, kind of like presenting himself as a sort of strong man and antithesis to, you know, that sort of culture. And that's kind of what got him elected. So mm-hmm. within that context, I mean, um, I definitely don't regret supporting Trump in 2015 2016 but now four years later mm-hmm. um after his presidency i feel that even more i i really I, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, uh I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm kidding of course i mean i i definitely have a more nuanced <laughs> idea about it but mm-hmm. the you know looking at it after the whole thing, it's crazy. It's like we kind of started in this place four years ago. And then we've had this Trump presidency where everything has fucking changed. And the fact that the yeah. pandemic came in the last year of his presidency, um, just to really kind of put a, 
a stark contrast on the world before and after Trump. You know, this is almost like our 9-11, right? Where th there was a world before 9-11 and a world yeah. after 9-11. And then this pandemic kind of is the almost like 10 years on the dime, you know, one year short, but close enough. It's kind of this dividing line between a world before and a world after. And I think Trump played a big role in that as well. So I think there's definitely a much more nuanced way to look at things, you know, from from the way that we saw things back when we were doing the podcast. But I definitely will not say that I'm I regret voting for Trump in 2016 or that I regret his presidency. Um, I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, I'm not going to go as far well, as to say that I'm just a, you know, Trump supporter and that's it. So let's save this. We'll get to this in a second. I just right. want to like reiterate the fact that for this segment in our show, like, like, I don't think there's a lot of shows that I really see that have this sort of discussion where two people are like, you know, we're friends, man. Like we, we, I know we haven't had, had a lot of conversation this year because everybody's just been in their cave depressed, but like, I don't know that there's a lot of content out there where it's like a person, two people that, that disagree on a lot of things, but still find each other, uh, entertaining and funny. Uh, I'm speaking. Well, thanks for me finding me entertaining and funny. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we want to do. And it's not necessarily just politics. It, it's sort of culture. It has right. more to do with with the way the world is working and, and not as much. To, like, it's, this isn't going to be uh, these segments are not going to be just conversations about, especially with Trump leaving. Like, they're not going to be conversations about, like, the nuances uh, of politics or anything like that. It's more about where we're at as a people right now. And I, I do think that, like, it, it's funny to you know, no one's going to be able to go back and find these things because we buried with good reason these original shows because the world was so different six, five, six years ago to where well, it is now. And, and I still do. I still have those episodes. And, you know, if you if you don't play your cards right, I may be, <laughs> I may be incentivized to maybe put a lot an of episode two out there. Yeah, I know you work for. So just without uh, mentioning anyway. specifics, I know you work for a very, um, very sensitive organization, and I can send them an episode at I, any point. <laughs> I forgot that I'm dancing with the devil once again. <laughs> I have a gun to my head the entire time here. Um. So, folks, that's what you're going to get out of these segments. It's going to be us talking to each other, trying to look at things from both sides, uh, trying to be funny about it. Uh, please stick with us and take a joke um, if you're like a new listener to anything that we're doing here. Um, and just keep all that stuff in mind that we're just trying to entertain you, but we're trying to also have conversations about the things that are going on. And it's a great place for us to start. I think this is a great first episode for my show. I think this is a long time coming for people that have kind of missed the two of us together. And that might not be more, that might be 50 people maybe. At <laughs> but this point, yeah. I think the fact, yeah, I think the fact that we're able to sort of sit back and look back at this insane year in a nutshell is kind of the perfect mission for us. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think that like, let's just start off here. How has your year been overall? I gotta say great. It's been a great year. Yeah. Well, nobody I know has died, knock on wood. I finally realized That's my good. dream of working at home for two and a half hours a day and getting paid full time. I don't have to drive to fucking work anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. in, in almost every way, the pandemic is what I've always dreamed for. 
I, I don't have to talk to people. Everybody is just has to stay the fuck away. There's a lot less traffic. There's just all the bullshit that the world was just getting fat and bloated with has just been cut. There was no reason for people to drive to work. Most of the commuting, most of the businesses that we had in this country were completely superfluous. Most of the shit that needed to get exi- that, that um, fell apart, it didn't need to exist in the first place. I mean, th- in a lot of ways, this pandemic has been, you know, the reset that most people have always been dreaming about. Right. Everybody be like, oh, what we really need is a fucking disease to just wipe out like 50 percent of the people, bro. You know, really cut the fat. And then when it happens, everyone's freaking out and buying toilet paper and yeah, but like, the pe- hold on. 2020 the people dumpster that said fire. <laughs> the people that said that are like are like the uh the cynics. It's. I don't think everybody was saying we need a disease to come and like wipe out a, a third of the population or or wipe out all these jobs or everything like that. There were people saying that. Maybe a lot more people in our circles coming from like the comedy scene where everybody's just a fucking dickhead to begin with. Well, but I know? think I think on one level or another, everybody or almost everybody have said or thought something similar at one point or another. Maybe you don't mean it seriously, right? Maybe the 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 most. Uh, dug in cynics were, would be the ones that actually meant it or pretended that they meant it. But a lot of average people, I think, on some level thought, man, fuck, especially like sitting in traffic. Wish these fucking people would just <laughs> die. What the, the fuck, traffic? man? Go, <laughs> right? That was me also. Just get the fuck out of my way. Do you feel, do you feel, obviously, I'm assuming you have not done any stand-up this year or in, no, in a while. No, that, that's the other thing. Oh, man, am I glad stand-up is over? I mean, uh, on on such a huge <laughs> level. Speaking of superfluous nonsense, the degree, like the, the level of bloatedness that stand-up t- took place in our society just... Fucking people who had no business getting on stage, both of us included, by the way, just going out there night after night, wasting fucking time. Just when I think about all the just having been away from that situation for a good amount of time, you know, to be able to reflect on it, all the fucking time that I spent sitting in the basement watching some dickhead do their fucking dumbass uh, set waiting to go up and just yammer some crap at an audience that doesn't care anyway. I mean, what a fucking waste of time. And, you know, I would have never quit on my own accord. It really took something (laughs) like stand up being completely dismantled for me to uh, quit going out because it was just such like a perpetual process that I just took, took part in and couldn't stop like an addiction basically. So, uh, you know, in, in a way, uh, yeah, this I pandemic is like is like rehab for bullshit. In a lot of ways, yeah. you know, whether whether your bullshit is stand up comedy or your stupid art business or whatever, like whatever dumb shit restaurant you have that's not doing so well. You know, it really has cut the fat in a lot of ways. And it like took something like this to um, to force the uh, force the point. Yeah, well, the thing that I was going to say is that I, I one of the reasons why I waited so long to put a podcast or, or anything like that out is because I felt this year overall, especially at the beginning of this pandemic, I did not feel comfortable really. Um, there wasn't a lot of levity. And, and, and I, I think for good reason, it's a tricky thing. I know that we're sitting here like joking and, and kind of being dicks or whatever, but like there were a lot of people 
getting very sick, a lot of people dying. I know people that, that died, people's parents at least that died. And it's obviously very sad. And, um, the political climate made it a way where it was just like this year was a downer in more ways than one. Forget the, the just the fact that you have to be confined to your house, uh, which is bad enough because not having social interaction is fucking people up, fucking me up for sure. I had a panic attack when I was driving like two months ago, just oh my God. driving on the BQE. And I was like freaking the fuck out. I was like, I have to get off. I have to get off. I got to get out of here. Terrifying experience. And I think it, it's messing with people because you can't, is part of the human experience, man. Like you need to be touched by people. You need to get a hug. Like you need to have conversation. Maybe not you, because you're a different animal. But like, oh well, yeah. But I realize uh, that. Like I kind of try I to think adjust that, um, for that. But I think that that was part of the, and I think that that would have been the one weird thing about us doing some sort of show during the pandemic, because I think that that I would have been conflicted, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would have felt comfortable making jokes about the pandemic. I still don't really like, it's not something that I yearn to make fun of in any real way. I think that now moving into 2021 with the vaccine, there's a little more hope that that next year is going to be a little more normal or closer to normal. And, and, you know, hopefully we can slow everything down, but, um, that's part of the issue. It's like, it, it just, it felt hyper serious because the circumstances were, were very serious, you know? Um, yeah. A hundred percent. And I don't mean to, you know, I make fun of the pandemic. That was never, that's never the right. intention to make fun of something that's serious and, and killing people and, and destroying lives and businesses. It's not really about making fun of it, but there's a difference between quote unquote, making fun and levity, you know, levity is something yeah. Yeah, yeah. that, adds to the situation as opposed to takes away from it, right? You can have levity in a very dire situation. And, you know, as bad as the pandemic is, the human race has been in, you know, even even worse situations for, for a long time. And there were people who, you know, were able to interject levity in those situations very effectively and to great effect, right? It's, that's kind of the idea is, you know, a year like 2020, where a lot of things have been, you know, extremely... Um, stressful and tumultuous would be the year where something like stand up or um, any sort of levity would be the most well placed. So, had we been doing the podcast, you know, I I feel confident that we would be able to, you know, approach it from an angle that isn't taste that's not untasteful and uh, be able sure. to. You know, because there were a lot of people that were in the media who did a good job of covering um, aspects of the uh, pandemic and just, you know, aspects of 2020. And we don't necessarily you don't necessarily have to be funny, but if you could be insightful and kind of approach it from a degree of levity, then it adds to the situation. And if there's one thing I can say, there was plenty to talk about this year. Well, to, the good thing is that we don't have to be funny anymore because we're not comedians anymore. Right. <laughs> so, so now we can just do a, an actual podcast or like a radio show, like two people who just take that seriously, you know? And that's kind of a new, fresh thing for us, I think. And, and uh, that that's really good. So where were you when when like the night that everything shut down? The night where the NBA shut down, Tom Hanks announced that he was positive for the coronavirus. Because that... The 9-11 thing, I think, is is uh, is a fair comparison. The world's obviously going to be different. This is a this is a a generation marker for for an, an entire generation of people. Like, where were you when the Kennedy assassination happened, or 9-11, or whatever? And we're living through two of them, which is pretty insane. But 
I remember exactly where I was. Where were you when when all when the shit hit the fan and we were like, okay, wait, this is this is going to be worse than we thought it was. Um, uh, well, actually, I, I don't remember. I don't think I don't think there was like a a specific moment where they officially said that we're going to be locking down. I think it just kind of like gradually came on. I remember after the coronavirus had already been, you know, widely announced, there were still some restaurants open. And Melissa and I, we went to this uh, sausage, like German sausage bratwurst place um, somewhere, um, somewhere, what would he even call that? The Upper East Side. Yes, I forgot what the Upper East Side was. Mm. Uh, and it was like one of the last <laughs> restaurants. Outside. So, yeah, I've been outside. I was like, what do you call that fucking place? Manhattan? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we went to this place. And that was the last restaurant that I went to for probably the next six months. And then after that, we were still doing shows at the Lantern. And I was on the Lantern that night. So we both went to uh, that show. And, of course, it was canceled. There was no one there. I think I got in like a handful of coronavirus era shows where everybody goes on stage and talks about coronavirus. So that was like really right. the, the end of it. And then I don't even remember when the last time uh, that I was on stage was one of those shows. I think it was like Greenwich or something, but um, yeah, it, it was just kind of this gradual comment before you know it, you know, everything's canceled. My job um, announced that they were going to be, we're all going to be working remotely. I was like, fuck Yes. This is awesome. But then again, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's going to be, I'm going to be working remotely for like a month, what, two months tops. And I remember everyone was like, yo, dude, this is going to be totally dumb by the summer, you know? But of course, yes. things didn't work out that way. Yeah, everybody thought so. And I mean, I, I thought the same thing too. And every time we'd have a meeting every like, like month or so where people would ask questions that were like, okay, like, so what are we going back? Do we have any idea? And then eventually my office shut down until, um, labor day and so what, you're working once from that home? happened it was like oh my god yeah i've been working from home since like the first week of march keep in mind gene i broke my foot right before this i don't know if you remember my new oh, year's yeah. last year i had a broken foot this was going to be the last time I, so i've actually been under quarantine for an entire year at this point i broke my foot last december by the time my foot healed quarantine hit so i haven't really been able to do anything since last december um but it's been tough, man. This has been like, I, I, you're saying that you love the work from home thing. I fucking hate it. I, I liked it for a while. Dude, how, I, I, don't, same- I can't understand. I mean, really, this is fascinating to me because, you know, I keep hearing about people uh, mentioning that they can't wait to go back to work. And of course, when I, I say hear people mentioning I'm talking about Reddit because, you know, who else am I talking to? <laughs> right. I just, I just want to be upfront to that. All of my, at this point, all my interactions like really boil down to Melissa and Reddit. I don't talk to anybody. So <laughs> Melissa, your girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Melissa. The only real human I've looked at for the last however long, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have these people that can't wait to go back to work. It's insane to me for anybody to want to, get up in the morning, drag their fucking meat carcass over to another building just to do something that you can absolutely do at home without losing any uh, productivity. But See, Gene, this is the thing. Going back to the weird thing about you, you're like not a human being. You're a productivity <laughs> thing. Like that. That's what you are. You're a productivity machine. 
and you look at things very like binary except i'm not know? productive like i can wake the... up i can start working right <laughs> i'm like a productivity <laughs> machine that just doesn't work <laughs> I, i'm so just like the, i'm the I, productivity I, machine but when you turn it on it's just the machine yeah yeah i feel like i've spent three years depressed and this was like 2020 going into this year when i had the broken foot i was like this is going to be the year i turn it around <laughs> i was like I'm, my foot's going to heal i'm going to get back into shape which i did do by the way lost 30 pounds thank you very much nice. uh, uh I, was, I was like i'm going to get back into shape i'm going to like get my life together i'm going to get happy i'm going to do whatever and then of course this was the year that that didn't happen so at the point that i'm at now like i want to have some sort of social interaction and i'm i'm ready like i i I, the pandemic is really at a, at like its second peak, you know, it's as bad as it's been. So you can't even look at this and say that like things are getting better because they're, they're kind of not, but the way I feel is like I've been safe and, and I've been lucky, you know, obviously I would love if, if, if they could like, because of the vaccine or something, say that like after the new year, they're just like, all right, bars are opening up again. I don't know that I would go but i would consider it i need i need to be around people at this point man like i need it's been so fucking long and that's why i would even go back to work just for the sake of even just sitting there working in a mask like whatever i would just like to put clothes on and walk around and go somewhere like have like a commute in the morning man would be so nice because right now i just wake up i do a little yoga i get uh coffee that's like my walk for the day i, I like go walk around six blocks in Williamsburg. And then I come back and I work until like eight o'clock at night. And then I, I like take two hours. I fuck around. I watch TV or something like watch six episodes of Seinfeld, like go to sleep. That's well, not life, man. That but sucks. That's, that's you. That's like you, you know, you're just, you're just working too much. Why don't you go sure pick up a hobby or something, you know, like do something creative I picked up hobbies. There's so much you can do. You know, you're working. We're going to talk hobbies later. Up, and then and then you're you work until 8 p.m. Who does that? I have a full time job. I work two hours. Then I'm done. I'm like, fuck you guys. You know, I don't need to do this shit. You don't know where I am. So what do you do about Zoom meetings all day? You don't have meetings all day? Well, I have meetings. You know, I try to not um, not go not attend them. What do you even say? Go to a meeting. But I try to minimize, you know, the number of meetings and then I turn the video off. Right. I just like told them my video is broken. So they don't have to see me. And I just call in my phone. I put it on mute. I just do whatever I want. You know, I try to minimize it to like when I'm really needed. And nobody asks you questions. Nobody's like, Gene, where's this thing? Is it done? Well, yeah, of course they do. But I, I do it on my own time. Right. I'm I always get my shit in on time. The thing is, you know, I, I work as a web developer and nobody understands technology. Speaking of which, you know, uh, the, we just got hacked by Russia. The biggest hack in U.S. history. They, they um, infiltrated pretty much every government institution and got in um, uh, what you call it. Um, inc not encrypted, but what the fuck do you call it when documents? You're the secret? tech guy. I don't know. Tell me. Well, just like like secret documents, right? Classified documents classified, from every okay. institution. And, um, and and there's nothing that, that we can do about it because nobody understands technology. All right. Well, let's talk about the year a little bit. Uh, so obviously you were still doing stand-up when Tom Hanks was... I, I was at home. That night I was how watching come, a basketball game. Go ahead. How come Tom Hanks is like the focal point for when the pandemic really happened? 
he's the focal point because he's the first American celebrity uh, to get the coronavirus. Nobody in the, in the U.S. Uh, high profile, at least, had had it yet. I, obviously, it was here, and people were getting it. And obviously, at that point in New York, uh, tons of people had already been infected, and we just didn't know. But Tom Hanks and then Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. That's a basketball team. Gene, I know that that was going to go right over your head. So the, obviously the, the first things to go were sporting events. Uh, baseball shut down. They were about to start their season. There was no baseball. Basketball was in the middle of their season. They shut down. No more basketball. And then uh, the college basketball tournament was canceled. So once that shit happened, I was like, fuck, this is big. If they're canceling, there's so much money behind the NCAA basketball tournament that it was the fact that they were going to cancel that and just not have it really to me cemented how serious the thing, this whole thing was. Cause I know, listen, we live in America and let's just call this what it is. I know that the numbers are starting to tick up and I was afraid because obviously it's, this is a very easily contractable disease. A lot of people were getting sick. A lot of people were dying. Hospitals were getting overrun. We're seeing the footage in the news uh, about, you know, all of the chaos that was going on. Uh, and all that stuff was very scary. But living in America, those things don't scare the people at the top that actually run things. The, the capitalists at the top, they don't care if we're sick and we're dying. We're still going to work. And once I saw that they were willing to cancel something that was going to make tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, that's when I was like, strap in. We're in, we're in trouble. This is going to be like way longer than we thought. Cause I was the same way, dude. First couple of weeks, I was like, we'll be doing this till, you know, Memorial day. And then that'll be that. And then when I saw that they canceled the college tournaments, I was like, holy shit, this is, this is fucking bad news. Right. Well, let me, let me actually ask you about this in terms of lockdowns. How effective do you think the lockdowns have been? I mean, obviously they shut everything down the first time around. There were a lot of cases, um, you know, a lot of people dying, but do you feel that the lockdowns are effective at this point or were they effective at all to begin with? Do you think it was worth shutting everything down at the cost of crashing the economy and, uh, you know, just all of the ancillary costs of, um, of shutting everything down? It's difficult to say. I think, I think I, I lean towards yes. I know that the tricky thing here is going to be, uh, you know, small business owners having any chance of staying alive because these stimulus checks are not very big. Um, yeah, it's like and they're not really bucks. getting any help. Yeah. They're not getting help from the government really, which is not, that's, that's very bad, but this is the thing, man, in America, these are the decisions that we always make. What's the more important thing? Like, is your religion capitalism? Is your, is that more important to keep the economy alive than it is to keep people alive? Cause I mean, if we, as a people, you know, we live in a progressive time, even though we're living through the, you know, the Trump era and all that stuff. Like as far as society goes worldwide, we are in a progressive like period of time. And let's say we were living in, you know, the 1700s or, or, or the wild West times or whatever, like there, there have been pandemics and, and plagues and stuff like that before where, in the wild west the smallpox and, and all sorts of stuff like that they didn't shut anything down and they were just like fuck it like you get smallpox and die tough shit you know and we could have done that we could have said like if you're old and if you have a pre-existing condition you're just like you're rolling the dice and and like good luck you know and i don't know i dude i don't know enough of the science and i don't i don't know if they i don't know if anybody knows enough of the science to say that like 
herd immunity exists for this thing. Cause I mean, we have a long enough period of time now. There are people that are getting sick with it again, you know, testing positive for a second time. Um, the way that I see it as from a worker's mentality, cause you know, there's two ways you can look at it in America. You're either a boss or you work for somebody. And I think workers get treated like shit, generally speaking up and down, you know, it doesn't really matter what, field you're talking about but if you work for somebody else usually the expectation is like you're coming to work it doesn't you have a couple of sick days and then that's that like you have to this is america and you have to work and i think that anytime people are put in this position where they're just like okay well like do you want to feed your family well then risk it during this pandemic where you know you don't have health insurance but you still have to work this shitty job and if you get sick you're fucked so if i look at it like from that way i think the lockdown is worth it i mean at this point it's too dangerous for, for people without insurance to be out there working, dude. Like if you get sick and end up in the hospital with, with this thing, you're fucked. Like your medical bills are going to be high and for what to deliver me a panini. Like I, well, I just how don't tasty really... would that panini be knowing that somebody had to die to bring it to you. <laughs> um, but I would go see my barber. My barber would complain a lot about how the government shut his shit down and is, is potentially not gonna, he might not be able to, hang on to his business. I get it. That dude, if you came here, like he came here from Russia and he worked and, and built a business and stuff like that. And the government kind of told him that he can't have it, you know, he can have it, but he's got to have these restrictions. And with people fleeing the city and, and the ripple effect, it's fucked him in a lot of ways. But the other alternative is like, I don't know. I, I, I think that way more people would have ended up dying if they, if they, Dude, can you imagine what it would be like if bars were open right now? They tried that in the, in the summertime. When they started opening things up again, that's why Cuomo put that rule in place that you had to get the food at the bars because they didn't. They wanted it to be set up as if it was a restaurant-type setting where you could have some sort of space. Because if you just have people crowding in crowds again, they're gonna. this thing is going to spread even worse. And dude, look at it right now. It's like, I think it's a big part of it is because of the holidays that people are just saying, fuck it, like I'm going to go see my family. So people are just traveling. They're getting on planes. They're doing all this. Like they're putting themselves at risk, unnecessary risks. Like this is, it sucks, man. But this is the one year where it's like, if you have to travel somewhere and you can't actually be that safe and then drive by yourself or with your wife or whatever to your your parents' place to see your parents who are in a, an, an age range that might make them more susceptible to the disease, then like you should probably stay home. You shouldn't fly across the country to see them. Right. And you just well, got to skip it this year, man. It sucks. But people aren't going to do that because like I said, people now at this point are getting anxious. Like we let people out in the summertime uh, because we were able to like run around outside. And now that you can't do that, it's like people are now willing to take more risks. So, I don't know. I, I think that the move, they should have probably done it sooner because we could have just maybe had a better shot at like snuffing it out early. I don't necessarily know. I'm just talking to you on a podcast, but like <laughs> that's my thought yeah. on it, you know? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. A, a good point. <laughs> we are two idiots talking <laughs> on a podcast, so let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But I, I will say this. I mean, it, it's definitely a much more complex and multifaceted issue than this dysfunctional fucked up country is prepared to handle. And that's kind of what it really comes down to is this yes. country was, you know, they blame Trump for, for the, you know, the Trump administration. And of course, Trump himself for completely 
botching the pandemic and mishandling it. And to a large extent, Trump's rhetoric at the beginning of the pandemic and during the thing, I mean, is that that was always his biggest, um, uh, uh, his biggest indiscretions. The way he talks about things as president is very problematic. Let's just use that word. But (laughs) when you, when you put his actions and the uh, actions of his administration up to the test, it's not as bad as the left really wants to make it seem. It's kind of blah, whatever. I wouldn't this, say, I well, but, but I don't want to talk agree. about Trump specifically. Um, I, I sure. don't think it's fair to say that, let's say if Hillary got elected, her administration would have done a much better job or, if or that the Biden uh, Biden administration would, I think the bottom line is that this country has a particular culture and a particular set of circumstances that really disallow it from being effective in dealing with the sort of complex global problem like the coronavirus pandemic. We are simply we don't have a collectivist mindset. There are this country is effectively made up of. Um, separate regions and separate cultures. You know, the people on the West Coast are different from the people in the South, are different from the people on the East Coast. And we have a certain individualist bend that prevents us from really doing things um, uh, collectively, right? So in China, not only are the people more um, amenable to a to doing things as sort of one group, but they have this oppressive government where they say, you know, we're going to lock down for a month. And if you go outside, you're going to be arrested. We're going to deliver food right to your door. You know, when you have a totalitarian communist dictatorship like China, the, the upside to that is that you can very effectively manage your resources. And that's, that allows China to really handle their pandemic in a very effective way. I mean, people in China nowadays aren't even wearing masks. That's it. You know, Wuhan, where, where this virus started, is completely over the hill. They don't have coronavirus in China anymore for the most part. And that's because of a combination of their oppressive communist regime and a population that's going to listen to all that shit. But America is a different animal. You know, it's a different thing. We value individualism and our government really doesn't have that much of a say in terms of what we do, nor would we want it to. So on some level, we were never well equipped to handle this pandemic in a way that would completely resolve it to anyone's satisfaction. If there was even a level of satisfaction that people would accept. I mean, I think we have such a broken political system and culturally we're in such a such a bad place that no matter what happens somebody would have something to say about it and criticize somebody so i think it was doomed to fail to begin with and in terms of lockdowns i mean yeah obviously we have a system that lacks a safety net so and people are required that's kind of like the way we set it up is that you have to work to survive in america whereas in other countries you know there's more of a social safety net so you know, you can kind of get by. But in America, you have to go. But that fails when you have a situation where if you go to work, there's a health risk to the degree that you can potentially, you know, if you're somebody young, bring a virus home that's going to kill the older members of your family. 
on the on the federal level, we can't collect our resources well because, you know, Democrats are fighting the fucking Trump administration. Nothing gets done. And then on the cultural level, people, you know, you have groups of people that are fucking refusing to wear masks. And then on the other side, you've got people fucking protesting and mass as if coronavirus doesn't exist. But that's OK somehow because the fucking virus itself is woke. So. <laughs> You know, you've just you have this multifaceted situation where it's just not so cut and dry where, yeah, you know, we have to lock things down to save everybody or, you know, let's just not lock anything down and forget that it exists. It takes much more subtlety than this country country will ever be capable of. And on top of that, you also have to factor in um, the the notion that this virus actually isn't that deadly. The death rates for the virus are you know, very low for people our age and, you know, people that are a little bit older is higher. I mostly it that most of the deaths in America are people that are over, you know, let's say 60 or 75, the nursing homes in New York state, which were completely fucking Cuomo's fault. And somehow he still gets credit for handling the pandemic. Well, you know, most of the people who died are old and that's really sad. You know, I'm not, it's, it's not to discount those people. Those were, you know, grandparents and mothers and fathers, but nevertheless, there's there's a degree to which you have to adjust your reaction to the reality of the virus itself. Most people survive. And whereas most people, when the pandemic started, there was indeed a fairly high death rate across the country and people who went into hospitals, you know, the hospitals were overwhelmed. They didn't have enough beds. They didn't have enough ventilators, all kinds of stuff like that. Now, that really isn't the case. I mean, my mother is a frontline worker. She work, still works at a hospital, just got vaccinated, by the way. And Mazel, congrats. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, uh, according to her, I mean, they're, they're a much they're much better equipped to handle coronavirus and um, um, uh, and uh, allow people to survive. So even though the case numbers, like if you looked at the statistics, the case numbers are just as high as the peak during March and April, but the deaths haven't risen. So, well, right. But here's here's the other aspect of this, which, uh, you know, from what I've read and, and again, I could be wrong about this, but from what I've read, one of the theories about slowing down the death rate is also exposure to the virus. So let's say that, you, me, Melissa, a couple other people are like hanging out in your uh, in your basement and we're just chilling and it's like less than 10 of us, but we all wind up getting sick because someone brings it in by accident. Uh, that's not the same type of exposure. That's less. That's still less exposure, even though you've been exposed to the virus, as if you were in a bar with 50 people that have it that are just running around spreading it to your face. Yeah. Well, so situations like that where you're in a bar, obviously, are off the table, right? Because what do we know about this virus? Indoors is the most dangerous situation that you can be in indoors with people talking. We used to think when the virus first started that um, a lot of this transmission was due to fomites, which is uh, viral viral particles that you contract from touching things, right? You touch a doorknob and then you get it on your hands and you get sick that way. But now we know that 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 really wasn't as much of a vector for transmission as just breathing in people speaking, right? The virus travels through atomized particles through the air. And, you know, as that reaches a certain um, density, you know, indoors, it has nowhere to go. And then you, you know, you become sick. So outdoors is 
much, much safer than being indoors. So, you know, you see a lot of people wearing masks outside. That's really not doing anything. You know, all these people that are being indignant about not wearing masks. And, you know, you see all these videos online of people reprimanding each other for being without a mask outside. It's bullshit. You can freely be without a mask outside and you have almost zero chance of contracting the virus, which is actually why, you know, all the protests that happen, they, in fact, they didn't raise, they legitimately did not raise the case numbers by that much. I mean, it was definitely downplayed by the media for political reasons, but nevertheless, it is a fact that because a lot of those protests happened outside in fairly good weather, transmission rates were legitimately lower. So there's that, you know, if you're outside, it's not as bad. So we can, we can use that fact to adjust things a little bit. Also, there's the fact that vitamin D has a lot to do with how, you know, um, how well somebody, how, how well the virus transmits. So the reason we're seeing a lot of cases now is obviously because it's wintertime, people are indoors a lot, they're not really going out, going outside, there's less sunlight, and that makes people more susceptible to, um, to infection, like any other flu, right? The flu season is coincides with winter every single year. Ultimately, coronavirus is nothing more than a, you know, a different strain of flu. So it'll, it'll um, act al along the same properties. So there's all kinds of shit like that. But then you see you know, a lot of these rules and uh, having to do with the lockdowns, especially when it comes to, you know, closing restaurants and other types of businesses that completely ignore the factual tenets of coronavirus and just do things in this very unnuanced, um, uh, widespread way just for political points. But this is the this is where I don't think that it has as much to do. Maybe some of it has to do with politics. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I can't say that that probably isn't a factor, but the reason that they put a lot of these things in place is because they don't people need dude. I know like we're in America and and you said before about the individualism of Americans. It's a very important thing. And that's what sort of sets our country apart from a lot of people. And in this case, probably to our detriment. But part of the issue is that like the people need to be governed. And I like, yeah, I, I'm one of these. I love fucking the freedom of America. You do whatever you want. Fucking fuck a girl, get a gun shoot it in the air, whatever, shoot the whatever. girl, fuck the gun, <laughs> shoot the girl, fuck the gun. Right. <laughs> However you want to put it. It's great. America rocks. But at the same time, like Americans will like literally fuck themselves because they, they want to tell the government to fuck off. And because of that, the government to keep people safe in the, cause dude, the thing is it had this gotten worse and worse. Everybody would have been like, what is the government doing to help us? And the people still said that people are still like, what is the government doing to help us? Uh, so imagine how much worse that would have been if the government or the local governments at least didn't try to do something like Cuomo that's what I mean when I say politics, because people do things just because, you know, just to avoid this public reprimand. No, but they, dude, they do this it is just the point. so people can't say, what is the government doing? No, but that this is the point of the government being there. Like the government is supposed th this is literally the only reason that we need a government it's like the idea of them being there is to help us through things like this the government is not supposed to you know infringe on your rights when it's when it's not some sort of fucking complete emergency but the numbers could have been so much worse and i think that if the government had the local governments had done nothing if cuomo didn't 
to make a uh, some sort of effort to lead the way he did and be the presence in New York to be the guy that's like the buck stops with me and I'm yeah I'm making the rules because none of you guys are paying attention to this stuff none of you guys are taking this seriously and because you're an American and you want to go out there on your fucking motorcycle with a big dick and and uh, be an asshole like you're gonna end up killing people because you want to go to the bar and right now it's like something that we can't do because people are gonna get sick like you're gonna get your grandma sick you're gonna get somebody else's family sick like bro do you i I, so i'm gonna put it to you like this obviously i I, you're aware that alexis and i broke up this year uh yeah i I thought it was even before that it's been a we won't get into it it's been a whole thing but one of the big issues that we had when we were splitting up was that she wanted me to uh we were living together she wanted me to go to my parents place in jersey in April, like during the height of this thing, when it was as bad as it was to do what to like live there to like leave while she, while she lived in your apartment. Yeah, basically she wanted so me. She, to... she was like, there's, there's a <laughs> pandemic. Everyone was like, we have to stick together alone together. Hashtag. And she's like, can you leave? Yeah. She wanted me, she wanted me to leave. So we got so to I a, have a place by myself. <laughs> so, cause we were fighting, you know, like uh, people that were breaking up. That's what you do. You know, it's understandable, but you know, during the pandemic, especially this is before we had all this information. So I'm hearing this stuff and I'm like, there's no, I'm no, there's no fucking, my mom has diabetes. I was like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. So we get to a point where like, like she's also, she's babysitting still. She's nannying during this whole thing. So she's kind of, wow. when we're quarantined and supposed to be like locked in the house, she's going in and out with a key, like a baby. And they're like going to the park and they're like going to the grocery Damn. store and stuff like yeah, that. Babies, you know, the biggest transmitters of coronavirus. Well, who knows, man? I don't know. But the point is that she was like around other people. Like this wasn't a true quarantine to where like you're being told on the news every day. And maybe some of that was hype, but like you're being told on the news every day, stay inside or you're going to kill your parents. And to be asked to go (laughs) like, like if, if, if Lex had gotten me sick, even asymptomatic, whatever. And then I went back to my parents' place and got them sick. I mean, just think about how, now. Now think of it. That alone, in and of itself, is infuriating. Think about being in a situation where some dickhead that you don't know was just being a dickhead, got you sick, and then you got your mom sick, who's who's a uh, an older person, and now your mom dies because some guy was like, "Fuck it, man! Like fuck Cuomo! I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm an American. The government can't tell me to not, you know, go to Rolling Roaster and and and." Well, right, died. sure, but you know what I mean. It's like, why am I in Rolling Roaster? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't, I don't have to go there. And yeah, like I said, there's, there are legitimate things that we need to take a stand on and, you know, close down the bars. There are certain things that just can't be happening right now. Stand up comedy being a perfect example, probably, (laughs) probably the worst circumstance for coronavirus. And not just because it got us to quit. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, stand up is probably the most, the worst thing possible where you have people crammed together inside in a basement um, and they're supposed to laugh, which is, well, which will transmit virus, right? I mean, maybe if you're on stage, it might be safe, but <laughs> <laughs> everybody goes in there and it comes out. None of us are sick. Yeah, it was totally fine. It's like we were wearing masks. But <laughs> other than that, um, the. The thing is, you know, it's like if you're praising Cuomo or a lot of these local leaders for, you know, leaders in quotes, you know, local government officials, 
um, for doing the things they do. You really have to judge them on the efficacy of their actions. It's not just that he did something. It has to be effective. And there are things that are effective and um, undermine the economy. There are also things that are ineffective and undermine the economy. And I think for the most part, Cuomo specifically and other local leadership in this country have done a lot of things that are ineffective and undermine the economy. Um, I think a lot of the, you know, closing down indoor dining. Yeah, probably, you know, New York city is one of the most densely populated places in the country. So certainly the rules in the city are different than the rules everywhere else. But if you're going to close down local dining, how, how come you can still take the train? Right. It, what is more? What is a more compact sure, but, area than a train at rush Gene, hour? This is the whole. This is the whole issue, man. It's a capitalist issue. It's like there are there are jobs that are now that are considered essential, and you do have to keep people moving. So yeah, I mean, do we shut down literally everything? Because that would also include. How are people, how are hospital workers going to get to the hospital? Well, well, I'm not saying that you should shut down the trains. I'm saying that you shouldn't shut down the trains. You can probably, I understand when the whole thing started, shutting everything down was the safest course of action because we didn't know how things work. But at this point, you know, they're talking about a second lockdown, the shutting down additional businesses. We have more information. We have more ways of dealing with the virus. There are, you know, we're much better informed. And the way that, Things were shut down in New York City where you can't have indoor dining. So what do people do? They just move their indoor di- dining outside. And sure. people are basically building these fucking makeshift trailers outside, on the sidewalk yes. and then uh, cover them with plexiglass where you're in a more enclosed space than you would have been inside the fucking restaurant. And that is absolutely insane. Yes. I know you're right. That, and that shit. Uh, yeah, I know. And I understand, man, like part of this thing is like, you have to, these businesses want to stay open. I get it. And, and, you know, businesses in my neighborhood have been lucky to be like kind of take out services at this point. You know, I go to the right. taco, taco place around the corner. And if I go in person to get the food, like I'm usually waiting longer than if I would have ordered it offline, you know, whatever, but I see them churning orders out. So hopefully they're still in good shape, right. but you know, yeah, there are businesses that that might not necessarily survive this, and I don't really know how you. I'm not an economist. Like this would be a great segment for Cudlow, who <laughs> won't talk to either of us anymore because you put LSD in his coffee. But allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> but um, I think that's the issue, and it kind of brings us to the next thing that I wanted to ask you, as our like, you know, in the past Trump supporter, how do you think Trump handled this whole thing? Because I think I was a fan of how Cuomo handled all this stuff. And again, I'm a worker. I'm not a business owner. So for me, it feels like somebody was, it sucks that we lost our social lives, but putting his best foot forward to protect people that are not bosses to protect people that, you know, are just being told like you have to go to work. Otherwise you're going to starve to death and you're going to have to just like make that happen. I sub- I thought he did a good job and I thought that he did a good job of saying like, I am the leader here and this is why you elected me. I am your elected official and I'm going to make the decisions to try to keep you guys safe. My overall thought with Trump was that the issue and the reason why this became such a politicized thing was because Trump 
in an election year knew that his supporters are economy first. They're, they're small business owners. They're people that they're contractors out in the suburbs, they're plumbers, they're whatever. They want to live their lives and do their business and stuff like that. And that's more important to them because they're tough Americans than it is for the rest of us pussies who don't want to get everybody sick in our lives. And I think that because of that, Trump did everything he could to not piss off his base in an election year uh, during a pandemic. And by doing so, he did nothing. And he left it up to the government. He left it up to the local governments to make the decisions on what was going to happen. And because he did that, we got put in situations where now people are being able to vilify the Democratic-led governments in these big cities and these states, like the, the Michigan governor, Cuomo, Newsom, who apparently, I'm not out in California, but I people are saying he's doing a bad job out there. Um, he skirted any responsibility, and he left it up to these people to sort of be the ones that are getting picked apart. Trump was absent as far as I'm concerned throughout all this until the protests start. And then he wants to be a strong man. And that dynamic comes into play. But for the leadership that we needed during the pandemic, I feel like he did absolutely nothing. I felt that the entire time. And when we get to our superlatives later, like one of his, our, our favorite Trump moment, I just kind of spoiled the reveal, but like I, there were times my anxiety got so bad early on in the uh, pandemic. And I was so afraid because I would turn the TV on and he was, they were doing the daily press conferences and Trump looked like he had absolutely no grip on what was going on whatsoever. Trump looked absolutely inept. He was a stammering moron on, on stage had not going in front of the, the seal of the oval office, telling people to put bleach in their body <laughs> because maybe bleach and ultraviolet rays uh, might stop the coronavirus from infecting them. It was maddening. I couldn't fucking believe it. So I'm curious to know how you thought he handled it. Well, um, I mean, you did, you did bring up a lot of stuff and I want to, <laughs> No, I, I, I do want to address all of it because like a bunch of questions. I mean, I think in terms of the um, local governments handling things, I mean, you seem to think highly of Cuomo's handling of the coronavirus. I would disagree. I think he did. I think he did a, something at least like, well, I, I think mean, that, you know, yeah, I, but, I, but doing something is not the same as doing something good or effective. Dude, I mean, he was responsible point, for the deaths of a, of most of the people who died in, 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 uh, in New York state in the nursing homes. I mean, a major proportion of the victims of coronavirus, deaths of coronavirus in New York State were those in the nursing homes that Cuomo forced to be put there. But I mean, that's kind of besides the point. Like you asked me about Trump, so I don't want to argue about Cuomo too much. Um, I'm really bringing it up to make the point that I think people look to the federal government to make these widespread sweeping um, um moves to deal with coronavirus right and on some level the trump so uh, trump administration um the way they handled it offloaded a lot of the reaction to the local governments sure right yeah. and that's i don't think that's that, that can go either way right but it's in terms of trump specifically i think his rhetoric rhetoric specifically wasn't great um, I think you're absolutely right that he was playing to a, a voter base in the beginning. He didn't want to acknowledge the pandemic. And that's just the way he does things. I mean, he's really just playing a he's taking a gamble. You know, he thought the, the pandemic wasn't going to turn into a big thing. So at first he was denying it when it became too big to deny. He was playing it off. Yeah, we're going to handle it. I mean, Trump, Trump's entire 
um, way of handling things is to try and present a positive outlook on a situation, hoping that things will turn out his way and then he can take credit for it. But then if (laughs) things don't go his way, he just ignores it. And that works for him. I mean, it it worked for him for his entire president, really his entire career. And I'm not even going to say that that's even a bad approach, generally speaking. (laughs) Well, it's it depends. It depends on how you want to look at it. Right, it's depends not a bad on how you want to look at it for him. For him, if, if you feel no remorse and you're you have no problem with taking zero responsibility in a situation where you're supposed to be the boss and the leader, yeah, all right, fine. Well, it fucks the rest of us. <laughs> but that's to say that any action he would have taken would have had a significant impact to begin with. I mean, let's say Trump's rhetoric is absolutely the worst thing about Trump and always has been. He is a terrible speaker. He says things that are idiotic and insane. He um, says things in a way that just sound dumb. (laughs) And his pattern of speech is disjointed and idiotic, right? But in terms of what he actually does, I truly believe that Trump, the man, is a more effective tactician than his rhetoric. I think that in his mind, he does thing A, but the rhetoric that he chooses to go with is for the people. You know what I'm saying? He's doing that to pacify the people. And then what he actually ends up doing is something else that he has in mind. Now, That's not to say that what he had in mind for the pandemic was something, you know, strategically important or tactically correct or that he really did much of anything. I think Trump was legitimately dumbfounded by what to do. I think his (laughs) administration was not, you know, able to effectively deal with the pandemic. But as I said before, I don't think another administration would have done better. In other words, Trump made it look a lot like he did a lot worse than he actually would have done. I think if his rhetoric was better, let's say you had Obama in office, who's one of the best rhetoricians, you know, in terms of um, uh, uh, you know presidents, right? He he he's able to present things in a way that you know inspire people and make people feel better about things, and he sounds smart and he sounds presidential and all of these, you know, very important superficial aspects to a politician but was obama you know was was the obama administration you know particularly notable in their policy and in the way they changed the country absolutely not the obama administration was a massive failure overall and over the course of the obama administration this country has declined just as much as it declined through the trump administration just as much as it declined through the bush administration and If you really put these administrations uh, up next to each other and judge them not on the face of the administration and the president, but on their policy and on their actions, the Trump administration has not been significantly better or worse than any one of the others. And that includes the pandemic. So to make a, you know, a, a short answer long, what I'm saying is Trump sounds like a moron, but he's really not doing much anything too much differently than any other administration would have. The thing that I think another administration would have done and needed to do. Uh, and again, this is, this is where I think Hillary, like I, I, I was not, you know, I, I mean, going back to 2016, neither of us really liked either of them, obviously. But I think that like the three years before the pandemic, the Trump administration, not great, 
but also like amplified by the fact that the media was definitely out to get him in a lot of ways, which I think is fair. I I've never been a Trump fan. Um, but I do think that there is sort of, um, you know, him becoming like a punchline, just everyday basis, like like every every Colbert monologue joke and everything like that, sort of um, was lubricant. Undermine the fabric of our democracy. <laughs> I I think that like by the time, I think he was doing at worst, at best, a, a steady job of. But I, I don't even I'm going to I'm going to end up cutting that. I don't believe that, actually. Now You're that I cut it. that out. Oh, come on. Don't don't cut that out. I mean, you, my, you my can't. thing, because here's the thing. I, I think no, I'm saying Trump, your thing. Yeah, you can't censor yourself just because you gave Trump like a fucking morsel of credit. I But the morsel of credit that I just gave him, I'm literally taking back now that I'm thinking about what I said, because you're right. His rhetoric is the worst thing about what he he does. And I think that like the, his very being sort of divides the country in a way that that has really gotten us to the point that we're at. Yeah. But, but let, let me just quickly interject to to that statement because it, it kind of like it hinges on everything you just said. You're absolutely right. That Trump's every being has divided this country to a degree that it has never been divided. But the question is whether that's Trump's fault or whether that's the fault of an, of an assault on his rhetoric that's uncompromising and coming from the left. I think it might be a bit of both because he, he doesn't, he leans into the fact that he's like the, the, the proud boy thing during the debate. Like I do, I didn't think this before he got into office. I do think now that he is a white supremacist. And I truly believe that. I don't think that that is like, that's a made up rhetoric from, and maybe, okay, but let me, maybe let me he's ask a white, you this. maybe he's a white supremacist now because he feels like he's been attacked by the left for, for four years. And now he's just saying, fuck it. And I'm just going to side with the people that vote for me, which are the white supremacists. And maybe that's, you know, it, it's a chicken or the egg type thing. But I think at this point in time, there is no question that, his only he's not governing for the whole country. He only gives a fuck about like his people. And I think that well, that's but his more people, blatant than e- even any though, other president. But even though he lost the election. Right. And let's not even get into any accusations of voter fraud. Let's just say the election was 100 percent legitimate. Even if you if you take the results as they were, his people, so to speak, represents roughly 50 percent of the country. He got okay. a massive number of votes from the Latino community, from the black community, the highest turnout uh, from the black community of any president since I don't know who for a long time, you know, except Obama, <laughs> of course. And oh, it was good to throw and, a, a any, any, out there and not any Republican the president, right? Any Republican president since I don't know who, who the last one was. Probably Reagan. Reagan. Yeah, let's say Reagan. So to say that, you know, his supporters are white supremacists is to indict roughly 50% of the country, including black and Latino people who are white supremacists. I mean, that doesn't add up. And the fact that you, let's just get into the term white supremacy for a second, because the narrative- You're taking me so far away from the but, thing. But just, but just for a minute, <laughs> and then, but then we'll, we'll, we'll get back because this um, soundbite of Trump is a white supremacist is something that has been, you know, very widely- quoted throughout his administration, you know, and ever since he kind of got into politics in 2016. And, you know, you mentioned that when he first got elected, you didn't think so. And now you do. So I, I didn't say, hold on. I didn't say that I didn't think so. I, 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 I was, I wasn't convinced. 
I, I thought that it was possible. I when he got oh, sure. elected, or early I thought maybe were... he was just a rich guy who kind of didn't give a fuck about anybody. And I still, to some degree, think that. But I think that he's been gassed up by the white supremacists because they're the people that love him, and he's an egomaniac. And I think that he just loves having smoke blown up his ass. So he's going to just do right by the people that do that, and they happen but, to be the racists. But if that were the case, then the people blowing smoke up his ass would be a very small minority because the so-called white supremacists. And I'm so this is what I wanted to ask you. When you say white supremacist, are you picturing the classic, you know, Ku Klux Klan, David Duke, uh, white nationalist? We hate black people. We hate Latino people and white people are the master race type of individuals. Or do you mean something else? I think it's evolved. I don't think it's I don't think it's I don't think it's David Duke like alone anymore. I don't I don't think that that's what this is. And I think that there are a lot of white people at this point who their white supremacy is is resentment more even like they're not necessarily they're not like domestic terrorists. And I don't think it's every Trump voter either. But I think that there is like a because of the protests and all this stuff, the protests helps in dividing the country in a way because I think that like there are people that were obviously um, I think there's a lot of people that were like center left who were in favor of the protests might not have been in favor of how violent they got or how um, out of hand they got but it was two people at fervent ends of the spectrum meeting on the battlefield and that's what happens when the country when everybody's unemployed and everybody's been locked up for fucking months and then they go outside you know in response to the murder of somebody and i think that the a lot of trump voters their white supremacy is this resentment for this um response to police brutality and the status quo and i think that that's that's the white supremacist of today and it's not even necessarily like going out there with the confederate flags even though those people are his people like none of those people voted for biden so it's not like biden swung any of those votes over the white supremacy vote we're like all right well like i'm i think white people should run the show here but i'm gonna vote for for sleepy joe because he's my guy that didn't exist you know and i think that the people that's that aren't the Confederate flag people that still ended up voting for Trump, their white supremacy is that they think that the black people and the people that support the black people and the people that support the, you know, uh, some sort of moderation in, in police violence and all that stuff that they're, since they're challenging the status quo, that they should just get back in line and, and like, let's just get back to work. And I think that that's the, the white supremacists of today, that they're, they're resentful of the challenge of the status quo because it doesn't affect them. The, the, none of this police violence really affects them. They're working from home, so they still have jobs for the most part. You know, uh, It's a blanket statement, but that's how I feel about it, and that's my observation of it. And then the other people that are defiant of the, the leftist governors that are forcing them to shut down their small business, like these gyms in New Jersey and, and, and stuff like that. They're, it's a defiance against... Um, community, really. Okay. The idea then, of a new community—it's defiance against that, and that's what I think is sort of the like the Trump white supremacist. Okay. Well, yeah, that gets kind of closer to the issue, but I, I will push back on that to a degree and say that. Well, first of all, you're expanding the term white supremacy to include a lot of things that have nothing to do with white or supremacy. 
you know, and this is really what I wanted to, why I wanted to touch on this issue, because, you know, the, the notion of Trump being a white supremacist is no longer a repudiation of the idea that Trump is a person who believes that white people are supreme, right? The idea of white supremacy, the classical definition is this notion of somebody who believes that who, who is a racist, right? Who and what is a racist? A racist is a person who believes that one race in particular, whichever race, but let's just say the white race is entitled to things that other races are not entitled to. Right. They have they are endemically better than other races. And because of that, the quote unquote white race is entitled to things that other races should not be allowed to have. Right. That is a racist. And that is a white supremacist, somebody who thinks white people are better. But that definition is no longer popular or um, widely used in our society. The term white supremacy in the new speak sort of way and the way that people use it against Trump in this broad um, academic sense refers to the notion that Western culture and America itself is an endemically racist system whose structures of power, but, but, but wait, let me finish, whose structures are, of power are, are, are set up to repress everybody but the white um, European Western ideal endemically and that goes to uh, and that's just not a comment about america itself but western civilization in general of which america is an extension so when you say that trump is a white supremacist right or not rather not you let's say when they say that trump is a white supremacist the almighty what, they <laughs> right well they the the uh, mainstream media let's say the, the unprovable statistic well no like when when you say when people say that Trump is a white supremacist, right? Who are you referring to? Those people, right? When the, when the did general, I say? I'm saying the colloquial notion of Trump is a white supremacist is really a call to the fact that America itself and Western civilization is a malicious and condemnable institution that oppresses people, all people other than white men. And that that is a fallacious and ju just fully idiotic notion. It's not, Gene, because this is the issue. It's an evolution of the term because this is also part of the glaring issue with the pandemic. Going back to the first part of this conversation that we started having, the idea of shutting down the economy, shutting down businesses uh, or letting people go to work and just sort of risk it. The people that have to be out there that are going to work and risking it are primarily minorities or pe poor people, poor people. It, it, forget, well, but a lot of those people are white, of course. Not a lot of those to people. Concede. It's, you don't have to concede. Most that a of lot the poor, of them poor are people white. in this country are white. Not in the major cities. Well, but where the essential workers are it, like when you talk about the the big cities, New York City, San Francisco, uh, uh uh, Los Angeles, any of these cities that that really have to make. Listen, let's be honest. In some of the Florida never shut down, period. So essential workers, non-essential workers, whatever. You're going to work and you're going to get sick and good luck. But if you go to these big cities, man, like New York City, most of the people that are that are bringing you food and working in restaurants and all that stuff, they're not primarily white. When you go to Sweet Green, are the people behind the counter primarily white? Those yeah, are the people that's that in have New York to go City. to work. 
But this is the point. Like those, the dense places like that are the people where we're going to start, are the places where we just send minorities and, and, and black and Hispanic people out to die to make salads. And, and well, that's the, also and not true because most people who are dying of coronavirus are older people. And you know, I know but, these essential workers are not. Yes, they're, statistically, they're not in that statistically, that's true. But philosophically, the idea of keeping the economy open affects the people at the bottom more than it affects the people at the top, too, because if their businesses have to close, then they're going to lose money, obviously. But I don't think that's necessarily true either, because a dude, lot of it absolutely the economy, is. Well, it for affects- Trump to keep the economy open, you need those people to keep the economy moving. But that's not to say that those people would not be willing to work. I mean, if you're shutting a lot of those businesses down, because they're broke, they're willing to work because it's either that or nothing. And and if you have to feed your family, they would be happy to work also. And the the fact is that we don't have a socialist utopia. And even though a lot of people are putting themselves at risk, well, maybe we should in the inner cities. Those people are so-called minorities, right? You know, people of color, so to speak. I mean, those people are part of the economy and they're, they're not going to get, you know, we don't live in a situation where their wages and their means of making a living is going to be replaced by the government. And I'm sure if you gave them a choice, they would be they would willingly continue to work knowing that they need to make a living. But based on what? To, Why what? you're just assuming that they're they'd be willing to go and do that stuff. What are you basing that on? Well, I'm basing it on the fact that if they didn't have a place to make a living that they wouldn't have money. So they would prefer that that would be there. I'm sure that they, they would prefer if you know the government handed out a, a bailout package that would pay their rent for the next two and a half years. But everybody knows that that's not going to happen, including them. So my assumption is based on that fact. Sure. But this all again, this goes back to my the original thing that I was saying about what the new white supremacist is. And it's not I don't I don't believe anymore that you need to be this person out there with a with a clan hat on and a Confederate flag. But Mike, don't you white supremacist? You're operating. You you are operating from a place of privilege. If you're one of these people that's telling the people that have to go to work to get back to work and not worry about uh, their their fucking rights in this country uh, because you're on Instagram at home doing your job from home that like. I, I understand personally that I've I've been lucky that I've been able to do my job from home. And that's why I'm so hesitant to be the type of person that's like, yeah, let's just open all this shit up again and let's get back to work. Because like, I know that I've been able to do my job safely at home for a year and I'm cracking because I, I want to go outside. But like, I am operating from a place of privilege, whether that's white privilege or economic privilege or however you want to say it, like, it's the truth. I'm not in this position where it's like, all right, well, yeah, I got to go out there and keep risking my neck to to make sure that like my family is fed. I'm not operating from that position. So it's 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 hypocritical of me to tell people to get back to work. You well, know, it, it's against it's sure against, for it would be hypocritical the movement. Yeah, but it would be hypocritical of you to tell them to get back to work. Just don't tell them to get back to work. And I'm not suggesting that. <laughs> That you should. I'm not I'm not telling people to, quote unquote, get back to work. Right. I'm the uh, the reason, you know, the issue that we're having here is kind of this redefinition of the term white supremacy to include a broader range of people who have nothing to do, who don't hold beliefs of supremacy of the white race. You know, you're condemning an entire a large swath of people for reasons that are, are inconsistent with the definition of the term. 
you know, a lot of people that are being roped into the notion of white supremacy have absolutely no um, uh, um, ideas about the supremacy of one race versus another. And but it's not about that. That's the point I'm trying to make is that, quote unquote, white supremacy is no longer about white or supremacy. It's about um, a, a, an indictment of Western culture as a whole. And that's the problem with a lot of this rhetoric. It's not about helping these people or condemning these people or the fact that, you know, certain people are coming from a so-called place of privilege, like you and I working from home or other people have to do more, you know, more manual jobs and put themselves at risk. That's that's a different problem. That's a problem that we should absolutely be working to solve. And those are issues that we can attempt to uh, uh, to alleviate through good policy and through good, you know, um, uh, a good audit of the situation, but this notion of white supremacy being a um, a problem that includes all of Western culture prevents those things from being carried out. You know what I'm saying? As long as we're having this conversation about basically philosophy and epistemology, well, it is not it's a philosophical the, conversation that we're, we're just running in circles on. Well, I know like you you and I on, on the point of white supremacy are, but these are conversations that are happening. They're philosophical conversations that have real tangible policy effects. People who believe in the notion of widespread white supremacy are in positions of power making real policy based on epistemological garbage. And that prevents, you know, situations like that are the reasons why uh, the pandemic was mishandled so poorly and why this country is, or re rather handled so poorly and why this country is so dysfunctional. You know, while we're here arguing, like pretty much the only thing America exports anymore is protesting and shitty identity politics. Meanwhile, China, who has its shit together, is making artificial intelligence and produce. I mean, they're outproducing us and arising as a world power because we're here having these fucking idiotic conversations that started in academia and bled out into the real world. So you're saying that if we weren't doing this, we'd be making artificial intelligence? I mean, effectively, yes. I mean, my, I meant you and me. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, I am. I, I, I've been I've been working around you know things, but the point I'm trying to make is that you know, American culture has devolved to this you know, incredibly toxic race-based caste system where all we ever do is argue along racial lines when, you know, look, we're in, in fucking, this is 2020. We have self-driving cars. We have incredible technology. We have AI that's that would blow the minds of anybody 20 years ago. I mean, we should be curing cancer. We should legitimately yeah, be I mean, able no to, shit. Come, yeah. to come together and deal with this fucking virus in a much more effective way. I mean, it's crazy that our society is so dysfunctional, you know, because of identity politics that we not, can't. Dude, it's not because of identity politics, man. Like, this is just the reality of the situation. I, I mean, I disagree completely. For the first time, and listen, before this pandemic started, I, I could get behind the idea of identity politics being this horrible thing. And, and like for long-term political ramifications, it probably is bad, but dude, like this year I felt the most in step with all of that stuff because it felt like it just in New York city, at least I don't know about the rest of the country, but to me, it felt like it just shined a light on this glaring problem where 
And I do. I started noticing it like right before the pandemic started. Like I said, the sweet green proxy has always been this thing where I'm just like, why is every single person in in this sweet green behind the counter uh, a person of color serving the white people that on their cell phones, not paying attention to them, going back to their office jobs? Like sweet that green. Is a, what is that? It's a salad place. Well, you privileged cunt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How we, dare you? We've we've been talking for so long. I want to get to our superlatives because we have to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. This is going crazy long. But uh, all right. Did you actually fill out the superlatives that I sent you? No. Perfect. I'll read. I read them. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's start uh, with your favorite moment of the year. I want you to go first, and I'll do mine. Favorite moment of the year. I would have to say this moment, Mike, right now. <laughs> We're at the end of this year where not much happened. You and I were back on the podcast. We're talking about shit that doesn't matter. It's never going to get anything done right now. Well, that's very, that's very sweet of Eugene. And I appreciate that. My favorite moment of the year was, uh, after the election when, uh, Rudy Giuliani had his press conference at, uh, four seasons, but not the four seasons, Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> they held a press conference that they were going to press charges and go to the Supreme Court about election fraud in front of a towing company. <laughs> a landscaping company, my bad, not towing. <laughs> insane. Absolutely insane. Oh, One of I the funniest say, things I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I thought you were going to say about the, the time where his head started uh, leaking. That was also crazy. Yeah, was Giuliani good. has been on some, he's had some year, man. It's great he's a wacky guy it's been I like fun him. to watch <laughs> what a lost cause uh all right favorite trump moment uh i mean honestly you'd be surprised but i haven't been following trump as closely i mean it's it's just been you know it's all the same shit all the time from him he just says something crazy people are constantly calling it out i, I just zoned out i tuned out i don't know Mine was obviously telling everybody to drink bleach and use ultraviolet rays to uh, stomp out the virus. Uh, that was the moment where I felt like we were in really big trouble when I was watching <laughs> him say that. <laughs> and he was talking to 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 uh, to Binks and and uh, and Fauci saying, like, is that something you guys can do? Can you use ultraviolet rays in front of the press, in front of the yeah. country, just like wor- workshopping with the doctors in front of the country? <laughs> Insane. I could not fucking believe it. Um, absolutely my favorite moment. All right. Most frightening personal moment of the pandemic. Well, of the pandemic, I don't know. I, I think I, at one point I, I was starting to get sick, which by the way, strange, you know, I don't know how often you get sick, but I get sick normally about once a year, let's say maybe twice if I'm not lucky, not once this year, this year I've been completely no colds, nothing just as healthy as can be. I've been eating a lot better. I lost some weight, which is good. You know, I've been working out at home. Great. So I didn't get sick once at all. But like at one point, I did feel a cold coming on. And then I started to just like freak out. It just, I was laying in bed and it was just sort of just welling up on me that I have coronavirus. I was like, oh my God, I have coronavirus. I'm going to give it to my family. They're all going to die. I was just totally freaking out. Well, that was the second scariest moment. The first one was when I thought Melissa was pregnant. False alarm? <laughs> yeah, false alarm, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sick. Uh, mine was the first time I went to CVS uh, in, I think it was April. 
it was the first time I had been out of my house in like three weeks. And I walked into CVS and I didn't have, this is before everybody had the fabric masks. So I didn't have a mask. So I, I wrapped mm-hmm. a scarf around my head, which mm-hmm. probably did nothing. Um, and I didn't have gloves. Cause at this time, like you were saying before about not touching things, I was afraid I didn't have any rubber gloves. So I put garbage bags on my hand, like paper <laughs> sandwich bags. And then I walked into CVS cause we needed toilet paper and whatever. And, um, it was the first time I had been in a store and they had plastic over everything. There, there was like a, like a plastic, um, uh, giant plastic bag separating the people behind the counter from the people that were paying for stuff. And it was, that was one of the most horrifying moments. I was panicking, dude. Like it was like being in a Why? fucking just good. Just cause of the, the way it looked. I hadn't. Well, yeah. Like, and, and I, I was also like, I needed to pick up a prescription for something and they had people six feet apart. And, and like this, again, this is the first time I've done anything outside the apartment in a month. Yeah. So in I mean, my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to get, yeah. So uh, yeah, this is the first time, like now we're used to it. Now we're used to seeing plastic everywhere. And the plastic right. is also built for the era. So it's like if you go to a place now, there's a screen maybe and and like yeah, yeah. built. This was literally just like they threw some plastic up and it was just like, I don't know. We got it. Like people need their medicine. So what are what are we? Yeah, do? I mean, dude, could you imagine when you were growing up? Let, let's just say let's just call out 2003 and then you get fast forwarded to 2020 in a CVS. You would be like, the fuck yeah. happened here? Yeah. You'd think it was a movie. It right. Believe, you know, yeah, and it, that's exactly what I thought. Right. But now, you know, almost a year later, it's like normal, kind of fucking weird. Yeah, it's weird what you get used to. Yeah. Um, thing you miss most about life. Well, I, I got to say it. My life has only gotten better <laughs> uh, on almost every level. Really, if I'll be purely honest, I would have to say stand up as much as I shit on wow. it and as much as I, you know, really regret all those times I wasted in basements sitting around getting on stage and hanging out with comics and stuff like that. You know, it, it was fun. Can I use that word? <laughs> you can use it every word I, you I, want, man. I, uh, I guess on some level I did enjoy it and I could easily go without it for the rest of my life. But if, if I had to, Pick one thing that I missed the most. I would say that. Well, surprise, surprise. That's not my answer. <laughs> uh, I miss acquaintances. I miss going out to places, running into, you know, going down to the village, being at a bar, hanging out. And then this guy walks up and this guy walks up. Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen well, you in yeah, a while. That's What's the same thing, right? Just, just like same sort of thing. The social yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, I think everybody, you, you getting laid, man? You getting any chicks? Uh. I don't want to answer that. Why? Oh, yeah. You, you, are you dating somebody? Are you seeing no. somebody? <laughs> I'm not seeing somebody. <laughs> oh. Uh, keep in mind, this is pre-taped. So by the time it comes out, if I'm seeing somebody, I'm sorry that I just said I wasn't seeing somebody. But <laughs> at the moment, no, okay. I'm not seeing anybody. <laughs> All right. Um, but no. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Like dating is a very peculiar thing right now. With, right. Because, with you know, pandemic. I'm in a relationship. I don't really have to do that and sometimes i wonder like what would i do if i were single fucking sit there you would do nothing Tinder? yeah you yeah. do nothing you would talk yeah, to you some really... girls on bumble and then not meet up with them right you really gotta risk it if you actually want to meet up with somebody yeah. have you tried i mean what do you do i've met up yeah i mean i've had i've 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 met i've had some dates and stuff like that and i was sort of seeing a girl in the in the fall and and all that but like you know what do you do nothing. you wear a mask to a date 
at first and then no. once you like each other you take it off sometimes you facetime like you'll do you'll do something where if you meet somebody off an app and you want to kind of have a first date to where you get to know them a little bit and decide if you want to actually see them in person you'll talk to them for an hour or two on facetime and sort of like get to know each other and then if it goes well and they're not you know they haven't completely misrepresented themselves and how they look then then you might end up, you know, going out and in the summer, you could have a drink with somebody. You could go to a, like a bar outside or a restaurant. Um, and now it's a little harder because everything is closed down. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like, there's no real, there's no option. I took a girl to a drive-in movie the other night, which was oh, cool. Yeah. We saw That's Die cool. Hard. Very nice. Yeah. Um, Get a hand job. No, <laughs> but that's like the situation right now. Um, all right. Best stupid hobby you picked up during the pandemic. Well, I, uh, building e-bikes and batteries. That's what yes, I'm please, doing. Please explain this to me. So, uh, yeah, just building electric bicycles, you know, electric motorcycles. And uh, I just got into that. I thought it was You're cool. Building motorcycles from scratch. Yeah. Electric ones. Are you posting this stuff on your Instagram? Uh, yeah. And on YouTube, there are some of my Instagram and I made some YouTube videos of like building batteries. Actually, they're doing pretty well. I got a couple of thousand views on them and, you know, getting some, getting some traction, but really, um, it's just fun. It's cool. You know, right now you can, for fairly, uh, for not a lot of money, you can build something that's as fast as a fucking, I don't know, a Porsche or something. And just, and then you have to register it. That's the best part. Because it's not a car. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've been taking care of some plants. Oh, how nice. <laughs> I got a bamboo plant next to me here on the desk. I That's have cool. a, sna- a snake plant in the uh, in the window over there. I've killed many orchids. Uh, I'm not very oh. good at it, Gene, but... Yeah. Yeah, this, Melissa's been growing, trying, trying to grow plants. It's tough. They tend it's to tough. die. Yeah, I'm not very good at it. Uh, person that you hate to see doing well. And th- throughout the pandemic and the shitty year, uh, who? Let's see who's doing well. I don't know. Is anybody doing? I don't really even follow people. You maybe? I mean, I like you to hate see to you see doing me well. doing well. No, I guess I like to see you doing well. Okay. Or you're not doing well. I don't know which one. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know anyone else. To be honest, who's uh, who's doing well? I mean, I, I, I guess everybody that I see doing well, I I'm glad they are. Yeah. I picked a famous person, John Krasinski from The Office. Hate to see that guy doing well. Oh. Uh, I don't know. You know who that is, Gene? No. <laughs> no, I don't. He's well, Jim. Can we, can from we pick the famous office. people? That I. Well, you can pick whoever you want. You didn't pick anybody. Joe Biden. You hate to see Joe Biden doing well? Yeah, I, I hate to see him doing well. All right. Well, <laughs> I should have expected something like that. Uh, yeah, mine's John. Krasinski. Although I, I will say though, um, I actually want him to do really well because we're kind of in the same situation with Trump and Pence, right? You you want that guy to make it through those four years. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want the country to fall apart, no matter who's running it. You know, ideally, you'd like to see us not. You know, I would like us to be able to leave the house sometime this year. So I'm hoping for Joe to do nice hmm. and well. You know, all right. But John Krasinski did this thing. Um, during the pandemic because the news was so bad. He started the show called uh, some good news. Uh, He's an actor, so he shouldn't be hosting some shit. He's taking work away from guys like you and me, the charming guys, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So he started this thing. It was some good news and he was having fans of his send in news and he would do this little show 
uh, like from his uh, his house uh relaying the good news and it was dumb shit it was like oh my puppy had babies the other day and and or my dog had puppies whatever it's like stuff like that my dog had babies that would be weird yeah <laughs> it would be weird so he did that and then uh all user submitted stuff so he didn't actually do any of the content and then he turned around and he sold the show to CBS <laughs> <laughs> so he's doing zero production on it and he got basically all his fans to produce the show for him and then he sold it and made a bunch of money wow what yeah, a dickhead nice. huh? yeah yeah actually you see that andrew schultz, uh, schultz show on i Netflix? haven't watched it it's pretty good you know he's he kind of started doing the same thing just doing like a youtube type of thing and netflix picked it up so nice. he's somebody who's doing well and i'm glad he is the guy deserves it also tim dylan shout out to tim dylan Doing really well. Glad it. Glad he is. Yeah, he used to be our friend. Not anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, that's that. That's the show. All right. We just went so long, Gene. I was not. Well, expecting we had a lot to, to catch up hours. on. And, we did have a lot to catch up on. And I feel like we didn't even touch on half the things. So. Well, you're you'll be back. Yeah. Unless I get um uh, a canceled. large stockpile of oh, oh canceled yeah canceled fired uh there's a lot of things that could happen that could stop this from this reunion from happening every month. Mm -hmm. uh, as of right now, I'll see you in January, buddy. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, this has been Social Villains, a uh, brand new segment on the brand new Mike Coscarelli Rules podcast. I appreciate all of you guys listening to the show. Please rate, review, and subscribe uh, to the show. Tell your friends. Tell Have one of their friends tell another friend. Let's get some people listening to the show. Um, and we'll be back next week with another great episode of the podcast for you guys. And until then, goodbye. Mike Coscarelli Rules is hosted by Mike Coscarelli. Executive producer, Mike Coscarelli. Supervising producer, Mike Coscarelli. Edited by Mike Coscarelli. Sound design by Mike Coscarelli. Podcast and social artwork by Chris Cheney. Special thanks to all the losers and the haters.